Testing, I'm over here. Can you hear me? I'm over here. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, yes, sort of. Excellent. Hey, look, we're almost halfway through this book. We are almost halfway through this book. Man. Do you have an intro? Uh, I'm double checking on what it actually is right now. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 7 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is called, How the Adventure Ended. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am Eustace, merely an ass, not a traitor like Edmund also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I'm some bird of the parrot kind screaming in the wood, <laughs> also known as Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining me today. Um, what do we do when we start this podcast? Uh, normally, we summarize the chapter. Oh, excellent. Good, because I have a summary prepared. Fantastic. You're prepared? I am. Wow. I didn't do my summary after we started recording. You mean we do work for this podcast? I've only done that once. <laughs> All um, right. So uh, as we read through the chapter, each of us chooses five sentences out of the chapter to try to retell the story of the chapter in the chapter's own words. Mm -hmm. So these are our five-sentence summaries. Chris, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. This was a pretty hard one to summarize, actually, because there's a lot of really good lines in it and a lot of stuff that I wanted to cover. Uh, this, is a, this is an interesting chapter, but I'll just jump into it. Here's my summary. <clears throat> and then someone said, people disputed afterwards whether Lucy or Edmund said it first, you're not, not Eustace by any chance. It was, however, clear to everyone that Eustace's character had been rather improved by becoming a dragon. Eustace was silent for so long that Edmund thought he was fainting, but at last he said, It's been ghastly. Well, anyway, I looked up and saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming slowly toward me. It would be nice, and fairly nearly true, to say that from that time forward, Eustace was a different boy. There you go. We both started with the same first sentence, but I believe after that we didn't overlap again. Huh. Here is my summary. And then someone said, people disputed afterwards whether Lucy or Edmund said it first, you're not Eustace by any chance. The pleasure, quite new to him, of being liked, and still more of liking other people, was what kept Eustace from despair. And there was always this moonlight over and round the lion wherever we went. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. All right. And that is my summary. Well, spoilers, Aslan shows up in this chapter. What? Isn't that crazy? Aslan? I know. Who's uh, he? I believe he's a dragon of some kind. Okay. Cool. This is one of those chapters that reminds me that Lewis can actually be a decent writer. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow, that's I, very generous I, of you. I know. I, I, I like to bash Lewis a lot because, like, he has the chapters where he goes on to three-paragraph rant about the seagulls and, like, does his self-inserts and, like, makes it very obvious that he's not good at fiction. However, 
this chapter uh, has a lot in it, and there's a lot of really deep stuff we could dive into, and a lot of very, very good imagery. And I do enjoy this chapter, and we're we still in the business of rating chapters. This one would probably be uh, pretty high on the list for probably the entire series. Interesting. I disagree, but go ahead. Uh, well, we'll get into it. Thematically, and like personal experience-wise, I can say yes. I, I, I see some of the value that you're saying, but like mm-hmm. story writing-wise... This care that no, I disagree. We're, cool. we're gonna have a lot to talk about on yeah. this. I yeah. thought we were not, but yeah. it, it's got some really interesting structural things to it, and I, and I like that's what, what it is. I don't like. I don't okay. like the structure of it at all. We'll we'll get there. However, we open this chapter with Eustace being a dragon. Still, he is, uh, you know, gotten over his kind of mopiness a little bit, and he's starting to help out. Whoa! In his dragon form. He uh, finds them a new mast. That is, he, like, my favorite part of this chapter. It's like he rips a pine tree up by the roots and brings it back for them. Yep. He, uh, you know, he's making the best of the situation, and he decides to help out. And he finds uh, a new mast. Everybody, oh, wait, sorry. We're skipping ahead. We've skipped over a very important point. Yes. Uh, about the armoring. Yes. So we-, we ended the last chapter with, look! He was looking at the armband. Yes. Uh, and that was a bit of a cliffhanger. And I, in my baseless speculation, I think I said something about like... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just looked at your book and I really appreciate the fact that your book starts the first line with all capital yeah. letters. Look at what, said Edmund. <laughs> just, uh, sorry, go it's, ahead. It's a great chapter into it. I think I said in my baseless speculation that I feel like the armband or the treasure or something like that belonged to one of the lords that they were looking for. I thought that you said that the armband was enchanted and that's uh, what turned him into a dragon and had... All they have to do is get that armband off of him. Uh, possibly. To undragon him. Possibly that. But I had said something about the treasure being uh, belonging to uh, one of the lords they were looking for, or at least that the other dragon had been one of these lords who had found this treasure and been cursed himself. Mm. And it seems like that was correct. It may. may possibly. We don't know for sure. We just know that this armband has the signet of Lord Octessian. Yes. And it's his armoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know for sure whether the previous dragon that's dead now had eaten Lord Octessian or was had been Lord Octessian himself. Either way, yeah, the previous dragon was not wearing the armoring, so the armoring itself probably wasn't cursed. Probably, yeah. Uh, but that's that's an interesting that's an interesting speculation. Um, but. Reepicheep accuses uh, Eustace of eating Lord Octavian. Villain. Uh, and uh, Eustace violently disagrees to that, though p- p- perhaps he did. Maybe, you know, if it was the dragon, maybe he did. Well, maybe he ate maybe, him maybe he's after un- he yeah, died. Maybe he's unknowingly lying here. No, no, um, no. The other dragon died. Yes. But still, he did eat him. Yeah. But <laughs> he didn't kill him. <laughs> anyway. Though, yeah, the phrasing of the question is... Have you devoured a Narnian lord? So yes, he may, he may have. Yeah. Um, but then we figure out, it's Eustace. Either Lucy or Edmund figures this out, and uh, he emphatically agrees with this, and he tries to communicate what has happened to him. But since he hasn't read the right books, he can't do that. <laughs> he also, his dragon hands are not practiced yep. in writing, so. His, his, his little dragon nerves aren't built for it. He's, he smudges out half of what he tries to write in the sand. He does. And and I don't know if I, like, I want to come in and disagree with Lewis here because, like, we bring back the motif of, oh, he hasn't read the right books. Like, 
If you're not versed in, like, fantasy stories, does that necessarily mean you can't tell a coherent story about something yeah, that Yeah, because, yeah, what he <laughs> said, what Lewis says is not just that he doesn't have the words to tell the story, it's that he just doesn't know how to tell a story. Yes. Where he just makes it sound like he doesn't understand the simple logical progression of this happened, then this happened. Yeah. It's like, like he, he hasn't read a lot of fantasy, so, like, he doesn't understand linear time. Um... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is not linear. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think I think that may be a bit unfair, but that's also like Lewis's ideas on modern education creeping in. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with you there that like this is kind of his idea of modern education, but also like we have already established that children learn logic in schools. Like a simple narrative structure is not outside the possibility for Eustace to have learned. So like this, I, I feel like this is more an argument from Lewis about how bad Eustace is as a person, as opposed to how yeah. bad the education system is. So he's just dumb. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, like, Yes, I think that there's a certain amount of it that is just like, stop being rude, Lewis. Like, uh-huh. the education system isn't completely broken. He has chosen to read these books that are not narrative fantasies. Yeah. And that that's his choice. Like, not everyone loves fantasy. Yeah. Like, not everyone loves a good fantasy. <laughs> I mean, I love a good fantasy. I think you love a good fantasy, but... Yeah, you know, but not everyone. Not everyone. Uh, so anyway, he, there's a fun example of like what he tries to say, but, uh, they don't really pick up on, uh, what he's putting down in the story he's trying to tell. Uh, but however, as we said, he, he starts becoming really helpful yeah. and he goes and gets like goats and pigs off the island for everybody to eat. He has the experience not only of being liked for the first time in his life, which is saying a lot about Alberta and, and what's, and what's his herald. You know what? I can understand loving your kids and not liking them. Okay. I'm sure you can understand that. However, he also likes them in return for the first time. Yeah. He just has to be like a dozen times their size and capable of eating them. Yeah, you know. It's like that power dynamic that exists there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you said he gets the ship a new mast, like, awesome. Uh, he also eats by himself because he's embarrassed to eat raw goats and pigs i mean i would be as well probably how are there any goats or pigs left on this island that this other dragon has been living on like this has got to be like a a very virile population i mean yeah it's it's established to be a pretty large island but also like how many how many pigs does a dragon need a day i was like i'm assuming your dragon could probably easily get by in one pig a day if not less like pigs pigs a lot of calories i don't know Eustace hadn't eaten all day for one day and ate most of, sorry, the dragon that had been Eustace ate most of a whole dragon. Yeah. Oh, I have actually relevant math here uh, that I have looked into previously. And I believe this comes from one of the what if segments from the XKCD webcomic. Okay. uh, Where somebody had posed this question of something about um, what size population of T-Rexes could New York City support? Okay. At any given time. Uh, and based on some very rough numbers with what we know about, like, lizard metabolism and the size of T-Rexes, we, I think they established that a single T-Rex would need about half a human a day worth of calories to to thrive. 
Okay. But you're so, also saying based off... Uh, okay. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. So, like, if the dragon is comparable in size to a T-Rex, like, maybe they don't need to eat that much. Um, they also fly, though. Like, T-Rexes don't have the added metabolic needs of flying. And producing fire, but maybe that's magic. Who knows? Yeah. Um, this is not a this is not a dragon anatomy podcast. Sweet. Appreciate it. All right. So. So anyway. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, doesn't need a lot of calories. Uh, however. Not a dragon anatomy and, podcast. I agree. Yeah. Yes. And then he cuddles everybody. He does. Like, he helps everybody stay warm. Yeah. It's so nice. And he's I, got like a lot of spoon space. Yeah, he does. Like he is the ultimate big spoon. Like everybody can. Hang on. What's the. Is that the Tumnus phone? That is the Tumnus phone. Why would he, why would it be called, oh God, uh, this is, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about this. All right. Hello? Sir? Hey, uh, hey, uh, I'm sorry to call on this line. Uh, this is a bracelet hanging on a rock outcropping over a bay. Uh, otherwise known as Nathan. I know that this line is usually reserved for anthropomorphic deer creature things. Yes, it but, is. Uh, but uh, I just, I just, I just wanted to call because, uh, wait, do I have the right podcast? This is chronically Narnia. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, good, 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 good. And you are. I don't know how he knew we were recording right now. Um. Well. It, it, I, okay. So what just is, to make sure, it's the chronically Narnia, which uh, pu- uh, you know, put out a huge deception. Where in one of the hosts claims to have not known anything about the books and then uh, reveals it rather undramatically that he knew all about the greatest thing about the books. Um, I, I I suppose that we could be the right one. Um, uh, are, are you referring to? How dare you! <laughs> are you referring to Dragon Gate? I'm I'm assuming you are. <laughs> That's right. I, this is. I am writing in with my voice <laughs> to discuss hashtag Dragon Gate. Uh, I can't. I, I'm just. I, why? How long has this been going on? I just need to know. Okay. Look. I'm. I, I guess I need to issue a, a formal apology uh, on air. That, um, yeah, I, there was some deception involved. I, it was something that weighed on me very heavily, uh, because I had learned the spoiler somewhere in the middle of the last book, and I had an internal debate with myself over whether or not to reveal this information uh, on the podcast. Um, I, I feel like if I had revealed it too early, it would have colored everybody's perceptions of my, uh, baseless speculation on this book. Um, but I also felt very colored us uh, colored it in the way of knowing the truth. <laughs> so it'd be colored by uh, the truth. It'd be the color of truth. It, it would be the color of truth. I can say that I did not reach this decision lightly, uh, but I did feel like it was the best uh, possible time for me to come clean and reveal uh, this information. If that has offended or disturbed any of our listeners, I am deeply sorry. It was not my intention to deceive. Uh, it was, uh, and I can, I can guarantee you that, uh, I am being completely honest when I say I don't have any more inside information about the events of latter books or storylines 
everything from here on out is uh, me speculating baselessly. Uh, I can confirm. And if 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 I happen to run across another spoiler and I find something else out, I will make that I will make that publicly available uh, as soon as I possibly can. Well, I appreciate that, but um, and I just want to, you to know something. Yes, it's a, I have a story to tell you about an event that took place <laughs> in October of 2019. Okay. I was driving across the Pacific Northwest with my daughter, and I said, hey, daughter, we're having this bonding moment. Do you maybe want to check out Chris and Kristen's new podcast? You see, they're reading the Chronicles of Narnia books, and Chris hasn't read any of them except The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I'm so excited to find out how he reacts to Eustace becoming a dragon. And she looked at me and said, who? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, So this, this was a moment long time in the making. Uh, Gosh. I mean, when, when Nathan was a guest on our podcast, he did, he did tell us that his favorite moment of, of the voyage of the Dawn Treader was someone undragoning. Yes. Yep. I even looked up that word <laughs> in preparation of finding a word that would tell Kristen what I was talking about and not reveal to Chris what I was talking about. With with that said, that that statement prior to Chris's spoilage um, might might have implied to Chris that there was in fact a dragon in this book. Well, also there is it one might on the have. cover of the book. Also, so. there is one on the cover. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. But. I figured this was, you know, we're talking about mythical creatures, so a dragon being about wasn't that big a deal as far as information. I mean, you are, after all, using a Fawn's phone line right now to call us, so. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> yeah. He was upstairs using the uh, restroom, well, I, and I just slipped right in. <laughs> He was getting cleaned up. (laughs) I've I've meant to talk to him about that. Um, Um, But anyway. uh, I have have one other piece of information that I kind of want to uh, get some, you know, have some light shed on. I'm sending you guys a screenshot right now. Okay. I'm a little scared. Can, can you please respond to this? Okay, hang on. we we got to pull up the video screen on the Tumnus phone. Okay. Oh, okay, I, I think it's coming in. It's coming in. Um, Kristen, this is... <laughs> this is you. Could you, could you describe what you're... <laughs> I'm looking at a screenshot of a text message conversation in which uh, Nathan, our concerned caller, asked... <laughs> Stated, I was very nervous during this episode that Kristen was about to spoil. And then I replied, yeah, he still doesn't know, so we good. Lol. I wouldn't spoil that. Lol. (laughs) This text is from from nine days ago. Uh And, um... I was unaware of the extent to which anything had been spoiled. I knew that Chris knew there was a dragon. 
obviously the cover of his book, as we've <laughs> yes. discussed many times on the podcast, has a dragon on it. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, I have a specific question now that just popped into my head. Chris, yes. when you wondered if the boat became a real dragon, were, <laughs> did you know? Yes, he I knew. Did. Um, he knew at that point. You? Yes. I did. I did. Punk. That, that was just. I'm. I'm not saying that can't. I'm not saying that can't happen. This doesn't have to be a one dragon book. So that. It's not a one dragon book. It's We've not a yeah. There's two separate dragons. That's there's far. a dragon. As there's well a dragon. A clearly, he's clearly puking blood all over the place. <laughs> he's puking black, black dragon blood. Yeah, this doesn't have to be a two dragon book either. Like I, that is that is speculation that I will hold to because that is still something that absolutely can happen, um, and I don't know whether it does or not. So, all right, yes, but at the at the point in which I was trying to convince him that the dragon and the boat might be uh, linked, and that the uh-huh. boat might come alive, uh, I was unaware of the extent to which anything had been spoiled uh, about the dragon. And uh, Eustace's role in being the dragon that had been Eustace. So. Yeah. Thank you. I, good yeah. To, that's good to know that only one of you has broken trust. <laughs> I, I hope in the future our, our podcast can uh, earn back some ground with the listeners. And uh, I know we're, we, are, we have prided ourselves on being a trusted source. Uh, and not fake news uh, for all things Narnia for for years now, and uh, to to shatter anyone's faith in that is uh, is is tragic. Nothing short of tragic. With that said, though, Nathan, you probably should not listen to the episode in which we guest on spiritual and direction uh, because Chris reveals that he has knowledge about the final book in that. Uh, no, 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 more, no. Okay, look, more knowledge look. than Kristen has. No, look. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about the plot. So you probably shouldn't listen to Thursday's episode of uh, Spiritual and Direction, in which Chronically Narnia was guest on that episode on that show. Look, I, I know nothing about the plot of that book, save save for the fact that there is a battle, and, and it's then, final, and it is final. It's the last and, one. It's last, yeah. last. Yeah. Sorry. And and at some point there is a new Narnia. That's the extent of what I know. Mm-hmm. Okay. This you is just, like... You just described the new wow. Narnia in a very, like, I, I had no idea kind of way, and you were just like, well, <laughs> here's about the new Narnia. <laughs> that, that was from... You were like, here, Kristen, I'm going to let you answer this question. I was like, I don't know anything about that. I don't remember. And you're just like, well, then let me just share. You know what? It's a 60, 70-year-old book series at this point. Like... <laughs> The, the moratorium okay. on spoilers has been... I don't think... Chris, do you believe that we're talking about spoilers here? <laughs> I think we're talking I mean, about broadcasting I'm, I'm, integrity. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, 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 I'm saying exactly. my capacity for things to be unspoiled for myself is uh, minimal. Uh-huh. Especially if I'm doing any kind of research for this podcast. <sighs> this is like when somebody is like, yes, there's no more lies except for that one. But then past that, there are no, there's one more. <laughs> well, once you build a framework of lies, it's hard to see where it stops sometimes. That's right. Um, That's why you never tell the same lie twice. I just want to thank you for inviting me here. 
Um, I hope that I've modeled good protest and uh, that given you the opportunity to model good reconciliation. Um, I want to thank you for inviting me to walk with you on this journey. Um, when Kristen said in our text thread, this is how the podcast ends, <laughs> I was just, I was concerned that, uh, you know, I'm, I think that uh, while cancel culture gives some, uh, some important, brings some important topics to light, you know, I, I also believe in reconciliation. And if I can help Chris slip out of this thick, ugly skin of deception so that he can bathe in a pool of forgiveness, I'm here for that. And I'm honored to be a part of that journey with you. Well, I, I am as well. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this to light. And I promise in the future, uh, this, to the, to the best of my knowledge and ability, will not happen again. Okay. Oh, I got to go. Uh, Tumnus has just walked back in the room. He's wearing a towel and he's pissed. <laughs> God. Uh, well, oh, he's going to cancel us. Oh, no. Well, goodbye and good luck. All right. I'm Thank sorry, you. baby. <laughs> Well, that was unprecedented. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. So, yeah. I feel, bit, I feel a little bit called out now. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you deserve. You deserved that. I know. I know. Uh, like I said, I'll do my best not to to ruin the good name of our podcast again. Mm-hmm. But anyway, where were we? Um, so we were talking about dragon anatomy. And a cuddle party. A cuddle party. Yep. Yes, so also when it's rainy, they all of the party can cuddle up against Eustace, mm-hmm. and um, he provides them with warmth from the burning fire within him. Yeah, but it was, uh, he was still sad. Like, he, he was still filled with despair because, you know what, he experiences being liked for the first time, he wants to make friends, but now he's a giant dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also realizes... What an inconvenience and what a pain he's been the whole time. He does. He does. He also realizes what an inconvenience he is now, being a dragon, that he wouldn't be able to get on the ship if he did. They they even discuss, like, hey, could he curl up on the deck of the ship? And if he could, we would have to move all of the stores in the ship to the other side in order to balance it out. So, like, there's a whole thing. Wondering whether or not he could fly far enough to mm-hmm. get to, like, it would be really useful to have a dragon being able to fly out ahead of your ship. It would be. However, if he has nowhere to rest, like, yeah. eventually he's just going to drown because he, you know, probably can't float too well. I don't know. Again, See, that's not the question I have. Anatomy. Can he just float? <laughs> can he, is he like a giant duck where he can just, like, chill out on the surface of the water? Because if he can, problem solved. I mean, sleeping, <laughs> sleeping would still be probably pretty problematic um again not a dragon anatomy podcast <laughs> um however at least the crew's being nice they're not just like oh well we have to leave him behind like we can't take him with us like they're trying to figure out a way to make this work what about Reepicheep? uh and, and he is very comforting and they become friends during this whole thing Reepicheep is his most constant companion mm-hmm. and they uh they get over this little conflict that they've been having this entire time which yeah. Eustace did start yeah i'm gonna clarify that uh, however, yeah, most constant companion, and that's that's the scene on the cover of my book is uh, Reap Sheep comforting a uh, sad Eustace. Yeah, dragon that had been Eustace. <sighs> yep, <laughs> he still has an identity. 
Yeah, I don't wanna... he, is, he is listed in the book as the dragon that had been Eustace. All, all one word. Yes. But what makes Eustace Eustace? Um, anyway, this is not a Eustace Anatomy podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, beyond, but beyond that, uh, about six days after they landed on Dragon Island, Edmund is waking up early. Yep. And he sees something curious coming out through the woods. It's still that, that morning kind of haze going on. And he sees a figure approaching. And he wonders whether or not there are any native people on the island that they just haven't found for the last six days. Mm-hmm. While there was a dragon swooping around the island hunting food for them. Yeah. Uh, maybe very small natives. I don't know. Good at hiding. Uh, however, a figure approaches out of the darkness. Is it Caspian? And calls. It's not Caspian. It's too small. But it's too, is it Lucy? Uh, too big for Lucy. Hmm. Who is it? Uh... It's Eustace. By Jove, it's Eustace. Um, and Eustace comes out of nowhere. He is no longer a dragon. He is back in boy form, and he does have a tale to tell. Uh, so he, he starts to tell this story of how he became undragoned, as Nathan just put it there. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good word for it. It is. It's, in fact, in the text. Uh, and so he... <laughs> And so this is like the real meat of this chapter, and there's a few things here that I think are, are really fascinating to get into. But we um, just we just turned Eustace into a dragon in the last chapter, though. You're telling me that he's already a boy again? Yeah, uh, and I don't know if you wanted to mention this, but uh, I know you you had said you you in your memory of this book. In you, my memory of this book, Eustace got turned into a dragon like a, the latter half of the book, and was a dragon. Until the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Like, in my mental, like, if I just had to describe what happened in this book to someone who didn't mind spoilers, I would I would say, yeah, Eustace gets turned into a dragon sometime after the duffel pods and... I don't know what those he gets, are, don't spoil. He gets turned back into a boy in the second to last chapter. Like, that would be my memory. That would be my recollection. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why I remember it so wrongly, but... So the, the dragoning was a much more uh, central idea of the story to you. Yeah, it's a very yeah. central idea of the story, and to a lot of people. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I know many, many people who take this, this scene that we're about to dive into of the undragoning of Eustace, mm-hmm. of the dragon that had been Eustace... And making and make that a very like that is that is an impactful moment mm-hmm. for many people in their own personal like spiritual development and their ideas of what Aslan is and how Aslan interacts with people and like it's it's a it's a big moment and it's very symbolic and it's very intimate mm-hmm. and it has a lot a lot of people have that being a very important moment in their own spiritual development much less in their enjoyment of reading Mm -hmm. and so with that said like this is a moment that that i remember i i i feel like i remember crying reading the the scene in which aslan steps in and and is in the garden with eustace as a dragon Mm -hmm. like I, i i distinctly remember crying reading that scene at some point in my life yeah. It was impactful. So tell us more about it. 
Uh, Eustace is telling Edmund about how a lion showed up. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't afraid of it eating him, but he was terrified of the lion. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, it's an interesting kind of fear where he's not, like, afraid of this thing harming him because, like... You know, like Antiquities and the Lion. We mentioned that already uh, in yeah, the uh, previous in, chapter. in the previous chapter. But uh, here we have Eustace coming to the lion for help. Yeah, and the lion shows up, and that's an interesting literary turnaround, I suppose. Uh, it's like, I mean, it's not subtle because we do mention it directly in the last chapter. Mm-hmm. But uh, we do call back to that, and the lion shows up and doesn't speak, probably, Maybe, like, maybe like, does, maybe doesn't. Told him to follow him, but maybe didn't say anything. Uh-huh. And I, 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 I think this line's fun here uh, when Eustace is telling the story. I'm going to read a lot of lines because there's a lot of lines in here that I think are good. But Eustace is telling the story and saying, but that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. And Edmund is like, you mean it spoke? Like, he's shocked. Like a like talking it, lion? Like he, like he doesn't believe, you know, who's ever heard of a talking lion in Narnia? Like, Edmund is, uh, you know. Yeah, it is a little bit, it is a little bit forced. Uh-huh. I think, I think Edmund's asking, like, probing questions on the behalf of the audience, mm-hmm. who's, may, who, who maybe, like, isn't sure that this is Aslan. Uh-huh. And it's kind of more to build the audience's confidence that this is Aslan. Mm-hmm. Oh, he spoke? Well, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Uh... And you mentioned this line in your summary, and I wanted to point this out, where he says, it led me a long way to the mountains, and there was always this moonlight over and around the lion wherever we went. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time, like, we've had you know, Aslan described in the books in a bunch of different ways. This is the first time that we have this description of this aura of, like, just light surrounding him, or, like... Yeah, because he has been more of, like, a voice in the fog before, and things like that, like... Yeah with with or or just singing mm-hmm. a roar yeah so yeah this is very much the first time that we have him described as bathed in moonlight yeah so i i, I thought that was that was an intriguing uh addition to the lore of of how Azan looks but he takes him to the top of this mountain and there's a very which big... is a place that eustace hasn't seen before even in all of his flying about he has not seen the garden on the top of the mountain mm-hmm with a big round bath with marble steps going down into it. Is this, do you think this is a place that's on the island at all? I don't know. Because we have had multiple gardens and there's lots of symbolism of the garden. This is something that I was actually ready to get into. Mm-hmm. Where he even mentions that there's fruit trees. Mm-hmm. Like very specifically mentions that there's fruit trees. Uh-huh. And so we have this kind of echoing back to the garden of the magician's nephew. Or maybe echo forward to the garden. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, and then we also have had other garden images with the apples in the orchard in Prince Caspian mm-hmm. and, um, various things like that. So like the hermit, the hermit, that was the other one. Thank you. I was like, there's another, there's another garden imagery with a pool, with a pool. We have the hermit with the pool. Now the hermit with the pool and the magician's nephew are both written and public or written and published after this book. Mm-hmm. So this book may have been the first establishing of the garden concept and the pool concept and the pool because we've had we've had the river god break his chain like break the chains of the river god we've had mm-hmm. the orchard mm-hmm. of apples but we haven't had like as far as in writing mm-hmm. we didn't have the wood between the worlds with the pools we didn't have the garden with the tree uh, with the apple that would heal. 
um, Diggory's mother or that would protect Narnia. We don't have any of that written down prior to this. Now, in the order we're reading them in, yes, we do have them already there for us to cross-reference across the texts. Mm -hmm. um, but in writing order, this is the first garden that Aslan is in. Yes. And we have this kind of image of this garden being a place of healing, mm -hmm. which is then echoed in the magician's nephew with the apple. Yeah. But not only is it potentially a place of healing, like it is, it is a place of divine healing where Aslan has to step into the healing process and be a part of it. Mm -hmm. He can call Diggory there, or he can call Eustace there yeah. and say, you can't bathe in my pool until you've removed your clothes, until mm -hmm. you've undressed. Yes. And this is what he says, you know, you, you, you can't bathe in the pool until you've undressed. So Eustace tears at himself to remove the scales and tries to go into the water, to the pool, and can't. Like, he looks down at his hands and they're all knobby again. Mm -hmm. They're claws again. And so, after three attempts, Aslan says, I have to undress you. Mm -hmm. And so Aslan has to use his claws to tear off of Eustace, the dragon's skin. Yeah. And that is a deeply intimate and violent and painful image mm -hmm. of Eustace being stripped of the fiend, stripped of the dragon, stripped of the what what we have established as the as the reader, mm -hmm. the best parts of Eustace. <laughs> let's let's yeah. be real, like. The most useful Eustace has been, the most, the, the least annoying Eustace has been, yeah. has been as a dragon. And that's something I wanted to jump into uh, and really dive into because it's really easy to look at this as a surface level metaphor and say, oh yeah, uh, this is, you know, the embodiment of greed or whatever. And this is greed, uh, Eustace's greed and selfishness and fear or whatever that's being stripped away. However, we also establish, as you said, that Eustace has already transformed. Like, in his dragon form, he's done good. Like, he's provided things. Like, this has been a good thing for him. So where, like, where does that fit into this metaphor of that being removed? Yeah. That's... I think, I think the, the dragon imagery represents the Eustace having to face himself. Uh-huh. And at that point, when he makes the effort to remove his own scales... Mm -hmm. That is him committing to leaving behind the parts of him that have those negative qualities. Okay. And his efforts to remove them prove, like, that he's made a growth in those areas. Yeah. But he still isn't capable of changing on his own, and Aslan still has to step in and tear the claw, the tear at him with his own claws to strip him of the the bad parts of him that are the parts he's coming face to face with when he looks at himself as a dragon mm -hmm. like the parts of him that he hates yes and like leaving behind for the first time just the good parts that he has reclaimed by being a dragon mm -hmm. so i think that there's you know but like yeah i mean i brought it up saying like this is the most useful he's been. He's been a dragon, and we're going to take that away from him? Like, 
I know it's a it's it's half a joking question, but yeah. like from the from the structure of it, it is it does provide some food for thought there. Yeah, uh, and this this pull imagery also uh, kind of strikes me as a reference to, and I'm a bad Bible scholar because I forgot the name of the place, but um, you know the pool with the lame man, where uh, you know there there's all these people around the pool that the angel stirs up and they, mm-hmm. they, they rush to try to get to it and become healed and Jesus comes to the lame man. And so, you know, pick up your mat. That whole story, the location of which I forgot. Um, at Bethesda? Pool at Bethesda, yes. Should have known that. Yeah. Yeah, and, th- and this kind of reminded me a bit of that kind of imagery. Uh, however, yeah, uh, he has to put in the effort to to strip these things off of himself and then ultimately has to submit, submit to... Hey, look, we thought the same word at the same yeah. time uh, to Aslan. And he says, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. Yeah, like that was, was in my in, summary. Yeah, uh, that's like, why I picked it, because it's, yeah, it's and, a doozy and, of a line. And he says, uh, you know, when he's peeling the skin off himself, it doesn't hurt. But it hurts very badly when Aslan does it. Yeah. It's like this this deeper layer is like, you know, saying, oh, hey, you can only do so much of the work yourself in order to be truly transformed. There has to be pain. There has to be a sacrifice. Yeah. That you that you have to go through. Uh, and then he he peels off the skin and he goes into the bath and there's this you know the very much the rebirth imagery. Yeah, we have a lot of, of pain first going uh, into the bath, uh-huh. and then he comes out. Uh huh. And or this baptism, and I want to do go from there back to this moment where Edmund first sees uh, Eustace again for the first time. Okay. And going over it, Edmund drew a sword and uh, was about to challenge the stranger when the stranger said in a low voice, Is that you, Edmund? Yes. Who are you? said he. Don't you know me? said the other. Mm. And when I read that, it, it immediately brought to mind, like, the image of Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, yeah. Saying, don't you know who I am? Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is the, the transfigured Eustace after yeah, after his, baptism yeah and his new body yeah coming back um so yeah may like that's a that's a death metaphor we could go into but like uh, a lot of stuff he even has new clothes though he has new clothes and he he you know comes out of the bath and he is clothed by aslan which we could talk about a lot i suppose um but yeah and then Throughout this whole thing, Eustace doesn't know who Aslan is. Yeah. So, like, at the end of the story, Edmund's just like, well, I think you've seen Aslan. And Eustace is like, I mean, I heard the name a couple times in this ship, uh, but I also have to read this line. Um, And I felt, I don't know what, I hated it, but I was hating everything then. Mm -hmm. So, like, he very much has this typical response that a lot of uh, the Earth folk have in, uh, in Narnia. Yeah, the, like the, the evil inclined, and yeah. yeah. Uh, and, like, they really hate this this presence of Aslan. Uh, and then he apologizes. And Edmund... Like you. What? Like you. Yeah. This is a has really, this, really has, relevant episode for me, isn't has it? Has this episode been your baptism? Oh, man. Uh, From this deceptive way? Possibly. Okay. New me, next episode. We're ne- there. Next one? Not right now. Well, we, you yeah, haven't right. come forth from the phone yeah, call. Yeah, well, let's. Yeah, we'll as come a, forth. As that a was transfigured the, man in new clothes. Baptism by Nathan. Um, <laughs> anyway, we'll see if we leave that line in. Um, anyway, uh, 
Yeah, and then they they have this bonding moment between Edmund and Edmund, Edmund and Eustace, where Edmund was like, "Yeah, no, uh, yeah, you were a jerk, but also, I did worse my first time in Narnia." Yeah, like, you you've only <laughs> been an ass. I was a traitor. Yeah, like I I was just as bad. Yeah, and that's that's or a, I was worse. That's Ed a powerful Pences. time. Yeah, and then another line I have to read. Uh, where Eustace is just like, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? And Edmund's first answer is, well, he knows me. Yeah. Which I, I thought was was good as well. It's a good line. Um, I feel like were this Lucy in this conversation, she would say, yes, I know Aslan. Mm-hmm. But with it being Edmund, he says, no, he knows me. Like, well, he knows me. Yeah. And I, I, wondered... I found that to be a very interesting line as well, that I was like, oh, that stood out to me as... Mm-hmm odd what do you think the other two would say here what would susan and peter respond to that question with i don't know because i mean i feel like susan was there when he when aslan died Mm -hmm. but then also has been told that she's not coming back to narnia Mm -hmm. and like knows aslan in a different way yeah so i don't know so yeah there's the yeah and i don't know about peter there's a lot of perspectives and different uh, just ideas that and relationships people have to Aslan and seeing seeing those differences is is intriguing and yeah. they're presented. Uh, but then Eustace comes back. There's celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he comes back and has a has a feast and they gather around the fire. Uh, they are able to debate whether you know or not the dragon had actually been Lord Octesian or had killed him. Either way, we're going to assume Lord Octesian's dead. Yep, either way. Which, I, I guess we don't really know. Yeah, we, we don't can, know, but... He could, he could have moved on, but like the fact that his armband here, which he seemed to wear, got left behind is a pretty telling sign. Yeah. Um, and a few days later, they have repaired the ship, they've resupplied, and they set off. They leave a nice little epitaph uh, carved into a cliff face for Octesian. They do have, in fact, like, a moment of who wants this armband? Who wants it? Do you yeah. want it? Nobody wants it? Okay. And Caspian throws it up, and it's left hanging in a in a tree, on a crag, on a cliff. That's that's how Nathan called in. And that is that is the introduction Nathan gave of, of the armband. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, though also he was in you know Tumnus's house, so I don't I don't know. I, I feel like there are some discrepancies. Maybe there. Tumnus went and got it. Possibly you don't know. Uh, but yeah, I I would have thought Caspian would want to keep it. It's like yeah. you know his, his whole mission is here setting off to find these lords. Like we found Burn. Like he's cool. Like Octavian's dead. Darn. But like wanting to take a memento just to say oh yeah we found him we'll go back and bury this or something just to have a closure to his story yeah it does feel a little odd that they don't want it but also they don't want to take away any of the dragon's gold and they don't want any of the symbol of that greed yeah that may or may not have been octessian's downfall Mm -hmm. so we don't know yeah uh so that's that's what happens in the chapter. They they put the epitaph up. They argue about the ring. Toss the ring back. It gets hung up on a tree branch. Uh, and many many years later, Tumnus finds it somehow. Possibly. Um. Anyway, Tumnus the immortal. <laughs> uh. Yeah. There's a lot of really powerful stuff in this. Like we could have spent more than one episode talking about all the imagery here mm-hmm. and and going into it. 
uh, I did want to point out one last thing before you know before I give you the floor. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I have I have one last question though. What what pool imagery is there within like the Norse and Greek mythologies that this could also be referencing? Uh, Norse specifically, um, I'd have to look more into it. I know in Greek mythology, uh, there what springs to mind is the idea of the oracle at Delphi, uh, and like the the oracle being in a position where there's there's different lore but sometimes she looks into a pool sometimes she's in a you know in a cave uh with hallucinogenic vapors in it uh but pools are are a way of seeing things uh, much like the hermit yeah in greek lore uh norse mythology i don't know enough to get into it okay so i'd have to i'd have to do some research there but yeah, the I mean the idea of water and pools and like uh, there there being some kind of magic there is present in a lot of different uh, traditions and faiths. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, but you were going to say I was going to say, uh, and something that I thought was really good, but not necessarily surface level to point out was we have this thing that we mentioned earlier of uh, Eustace obviously not reading the right books. And so when he's trying to convey the dra- his dragoning, he does a bad job because he's just like, oh, he can't tell a coherent story. But then when he's reborn and comes to Edmund, the first thing he does is tell, is tell a, a story. story. Yeah. That is symbolic. Yeah. And so they, it's, it's a fundamental change that happens in his mind. And, you know, also it says, to be, stricula- strict- to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days where he could not, where he could be very tiresome. But most of these, uh, I shall not notice. The cure had to be done. So this yeah. is not like a complete rebirth moment where just like, oh, he was a dragon and now he's back and now he's better. However, this did fundamentally change him, and we have the beginning of the redemption arc of Eustace. Yeah, I like that. The cure has begun. Yeah. I liked that line. Yeah, it's like it's a process. So. Yeah. So I I really like that idea of. The cure had began, had begun, but like he also the line he he began to become a better boy or something like that. Like I, whatever you just read it, but um, the cure had begun is just a good way of saying like he has started to improve. He's getting better, but also like it's a, it, the way that he's like I'm not gonna notice it when he messes up is a very like cheat way of having to write Eustace as a as a developing character mm-hmm. and being like nope I'm not going to continue to write him in a difficult way I'm going to write him in an easy way however makes sense if this is like an oral tradition story and like this is being dictated as is our running theme or my running idea for the series is that if he's just like telling this story mm-hmm. that's something that makes sense to cut in with yeah it does, I guess. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, I think we covered everything. Like I said, we could spend weeks and weeks discussing all the nuances of this chapter and getting into the theological bits of it that we could pick apart. Yeah. But that is not the scope of this podcast. But how how do you feel in your rebirth? Have you become Have you begun to become a better podcaster? Uh, yeah, it's a process. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, I'm doing two right now, so I would go. like to think so. Okay. So should we move on to our next segment, Kristen? Sure, why not? What's that one? Uh, Narnia Chopped and Screwed. Oh, who came up with that name? 
Um, anyway. I think it was you, but I don't know, honestly. Mm-hmm. So in this segment, um, as we read through the chapter, we each choose five sentences out of the chapter that we use to tell a new story. So we just kind of chop and screw the chapter and try to make a new story out of it. Yeah, straightforward. And so with that, you did your summary first. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll do my rewrite first. Have fun. All right. It wasn't a dream, said Edmund. He was a very humane killer too, for he could dispatch a beast with one blow of his tail so that it didn't know and presumably still doesn't know, it had been killed. But the dragon shook his head violently. Who are you? said he. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you can understand. Oh, okay. Okay. What was your idea there? Like, I get the narrative, but uh, did you have a specific... uh set of characters in mind here? I mean, I really just wanted to make this kind of about Edmund and Mm -hmm. like... Going a a dark direction. Yeah, going a little darker. I didn't have a specific thing I set out to do when I do these. I Mm -hmm. kind of let the story come to me, so... (laughs) (laughs) Your your writing process just leaking through there. I mean, I honestly flip through the book and find two sentences that I like that I think can work together and then try to find ones that off of that yeah. can i i can build a, a thematic feeling yeah dragon island's dark like uh i mean that's that's basically what i do too but both of our uh summaries last week were pretty uh, on the darker side and i think both of ours this week are as well uh, i was really proud of this one though so here is mine here as we suppose the lord octesian had his death as he woke he thought he heard something moving so he raised himself on one elbow and looked about him and presently he thought he saw a dark figure moving on the seaward side of the wood. Don't you know me, said the other. The very first terror he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. You were only an ass, but I was a traitor. <laughs> I like that. I like, I like what you did with that. That built very intensely. I liked, oh man, <laughs> that gave me chills. I like it. Ooh. Thank you. Anyway, I thought that one was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my idea, in case you couldn't tell, was, uh, I don't know, somebody was, I think, sorry, I have to go back to when I wrote it, uh, <laughs> was Caspian coming to the island to look for Octasian and finding Octasian's ghost. Okay. In the conversation between them. Mm. <clears throat> Interesting. So. There you go. Mm, all right. Uh, so that's my rewrite. Uh, if you guys have one, feel free to send it in. We'll throw the email at the end of the podcast. Indeed. It's like. With all of that said, let's go into our last segment. Which is baseless speculation. So just so our listeners are aware, I have not read any of these books really except for lion the witch in the wardrobe prior to this record as a disclaimer i may have learned some things about the series on the internets just in discussion threads and spoilers i might be aware of some plot points i think i've covered most of those if there are any more we'll cross that bridge when we come to it however 
For the most part, I don't know what's going to happen in the plot, so I like to take a look at the information that's presented before me in the chapters and try to figure out where the story's going. And that's and he what we're... frequently comes up with better story <laughs> ideas. That's what they tell me. Uh, so for this one, I don't have a whole lot. My main idea was uh, centered around the fact that we're finished with chapter 7. This is chapter 7, right? Correct. So we're going to chapter 8. We're halfway through the book. Mm-hmm. And you've had major character development in your favorite character. We have. We have. I was expecting that. So we're halfway through the book, and given the pace that the story has gone so far... You know, we're we're halfway through, and you know, if we're two of we the found seven we lords. found two of the seven lords, we found two of the seven deadly sins. I don't think we're going to have enough book space to fully cover the other five. Mm-hmm. So what I think is going to happen is I think we hit one more. We hit we fully hit one more sin, and and cover it. And gosh, that could be anything. I'm going to say envy. I'll circle around back to that, but I think it's going to be envy. And then the other four are just going to, we're just going to go buck wild. We're just going to hit an island where it's just like sin paradise. <laughs> and, You're and still on the sin thing though. Like, I, okay. I'm still on the sin thing because I think it makes sense. Yeah. And I think we're, we're going to hit another island or some land or, or, or whatever that is just like, this is the hedonistic whatever, where people are like throwing these sins around left and right. And we're going to just rapid fire and knock out the last four sins just in like two chapters okay. because then we still have to have room to like i don't think we're gonna get to aslan's country i don't think we can get there okay. i think we're gonna see something of it i think we're gonna see a light at the end of the tunnel or like the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow like we have to walk through our sins and then we have to see paradise i don't think we set foot there because i don't think that would make any sense however getting deeper into into the plot i think the next sin that we're really going to dive into is going to be envy because we have this redemption story of Eustace and, you know, his experience on the island of becoming the dragon and making friends with all the crew and being useful. And, like, Eustace turns cool after this. And I think Eustace is going to get a lot of attention. And Eustace, like, you know, at coming out of his cocoon as the beautiful butterfly, you know, gosh, I'm using, I'm using so many metaphors here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and the ugly duckling, if you will. <laughs> Uh, and he's going to come out of this and be like popular war for once and have friends and be cool among the crew. Cause everybody'd be like, yeah, man, he's the one that got us back on the ship. Like he got us the mask. Like he was, he was cuddling all of us. Like it was a good time. And I think Edmund's going to get a little jealous and, and envious of, of Eustace's newfound popularity. Cause, cause everybody's like, oh yeah, you used to be a King of Narnia, whatever. But this guy used to be a dragon. Isn't that, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta admit that's cooler, right? So I, I think, I think we're gonna have that kind of situation. I don't know. Uh-huh. Usually, don't know. usually you play with me on these. I know. Usually I you know. yes and me, and this is you're just you're just like no, nope, no. not gonna happen. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just. I feel like the integrity of your baseless speculation might have been undermined overall by the by the tone of the episode thus far. I swear I don't know what's going to happen. Like, the dragon <laughs> thing was the last thing I knew about this book. Like, who, I, I have no idea what the freaking duffel puds are. Like, <laughs> who knows what who knows what that is. I do. Yeah. No idea. What the, I, I haven't even jumped into that yet. Because I've seen the chapter title, and I was like, that sounds weird. Yep. All right. So we'll... <sighs> anyway. We'll get there. Maybe the duffel puds are the hedonists, and they, they, that's... 
that's where we go. But there you go. Cool. That's my speculation. All right. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this adventure of an episode today. If you would like to share with us your five-sentence rewrites or your fan art of Eustace coming out of the mist or out of the pool, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also... Uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. Also, we have a couple of other projects. This week, on Thursday, we were guests on an episode of Spiritual Undirection, a podcast uh, about life's biggest questions. And we were there, uh, we found our way through our friend Wayne's bookshelf and landed in the middle of a recording of their podcast and joined them to discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, um, how Jadis is Jesus, and I mean, sorry, Aslan's Jesus, and uh, how Chris is a card-carrying member of Q and Narnia. <laughs> also, it's a fun show. <laughs> It was a good time, and you should go give them a listen. Check out some of their other episodes, and they are a spiritual undirection on all of the podcasting apps. Chris also has another project that he's working on that is a D&D live play podcast called Carpe DM with the letters D and M. Mm-hmm. Um, Carpe DM, and that is a live play co- podcast in which he is DMing for a group of friends, including myself, and we are having a grand adventure in the land of Faerun. <laughs> so yeah, with all of that said, thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next week as we discuss Chapter 8 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Two Narrow Escapes. Ooh. Ooh not just one. Not just one. Mm-hmm. Bye. We didn't even sign up. You didn't sign up properly. I did. I said thanks so much for listening. And what's your advice line? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, what's your advice line? And, of course, if you are ever turned into a dragon, follow the first lion that you see. And when you're leaving Dragon Island, leave your treasure behind. Do it. That's right. I this is I am writing in with my voice. <laughs>
Kristen has started recording. I'm saying that in the thing so when you get the audio file, you'll, you can know to just listen through the first five minutes. Try not to hold your book directly between you and the mic. Should I redo all that? No, you're good. Okay.